What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. most well-known and beloved parable of Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a, about a Samaritan who goes out of his way to you know, come and help someone who's been beaten and robbed. And, and that person that he helps is a, a Jewish man. And you know, before this Samaritan comes along, Jesus shares about two other Jewish men who come along and, and they see this man who's beaten. They see this man who's just left there you know, on the ground. And they just walk on by. They don't give him the time of day. They don't help him out. But the Samaritan, the one that you would think wouldn't help this Jew because the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They were enemies with one another. He's the one who goes out of his way. He's the one who stops. He's the one who helps this man. He's the one who pays for his care. And so Jesus in this parable chooses to make the Samaritan the hero. Because he wants to drive home the point of loving your enemy. Something the religious leaders of Jesus' day greatly struggled to do. They were like those two men that Jesus points out who walk on by when they see someone who's not Jewish. They see someone who's not part of, you know, what they perceive to be, you know, the ones that God loves. They just abandon them and do nothing. Now we need to understand the Good Samaritan didn't actually exist. He was someone that Jesus made up in a parable to make a point. But this morning, we're actually going to see an encounter that Jesus has with an actual Samaritan. Not a made-up one in a parable. And this encounter is actually very similar to the parable of the Good Samaritan. This real-life story, there's a little twist. The twist is that the Samaritan isn't the good one. The Samaritan isn't the one going out of their way to help someone else. The hero of the story isn't the Samaritan. The good person, the hero, the one who goes out of his way in this story is Jesus himself. Actually, based on the lifestyle of this Samaritan, we could describe her as the bad Samaritan because her lifestyle was full of sin. She's a woman that most of the Jews of Jesus' day would walk right by, would ignore, would want nothing to do with. But Jesus is going to go out of his way to reach out to this bad Samaritan. He's going to go out of his way to reveal to this woman who he is, what he has to offer her, and why she needs to ask for it. You see, Jesus is putting into practice the point that he made in his parable of the good Samaritan that we need to love those that others reject. We need to go out of our way and reach those that others ignore and walk on by. We need to reach bad people with the good news of the gospel. All of us should be able to relate to this bad Samaritan woman. Because the reason she's bad is because she's sinful. And that's the same reason that all of us are bad. Because all of us are sinful. 
You know, it's interesting when you talk to people, most people want to view themselves and describe themselves as good. I'm a good person. That's the way that I see myself. That might be the way that they see themselves, but that's not the way that God sees them. The Word of God makes very clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinful and therefore all of us are bad. And so we should be able to relate to this woman because we as well struggle with sin. But you know what? Most of us here were blessed to have someone love us enough to go out of their way to share with us who Jesus is, what He has to offer us, and why we needed it. And we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, who He is, what He's done for us. But now that we are followers of Jesus, now that we have accepted Him into our life, you know what? He's called us to do something very important. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news of what Jesus done to those who don't know it. So we're going to look at this morning with Jesus' encounter with this bad Samaritan woman is a wonderful example for us of how to go out of our way. How to go out and approach people and reach out to people who are people who are sinful, who are bad, who are lost, who are in desperate need of hearing the good news of the gospel. So as we look at how Jesus goes out of his way to reach out to this bad Samaritan woman, I'm going to highlight six important principles about evangelism. As we look at what Jesus does, we're going to see six things that we as well should do as we seek to hopefully be those who reach lost people with the gospel. Now before we look at this encounter that Jesus has with this bad Samaritan woman, it's important that we get a little bit of background information about the history and the relationship that Samaritans had with Jews. Because that really sets the stage for what Jesus does. Because if you don't really understand the animosity and the hatred and the things going on, what Jesus does isn't nearly as significant as it should be in your eyes and in your mind. And so let me start with just giving a little bit of history of where the Samaritans came from and why there is this animosity between them and the Jews. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And what they did is they took the majority of the Jews who were living there and they deported them and they took them to Assyria. And the group that they left behind were pretty much just the lowest classes of society. Just a, a small percentage of the Jews were left there in Israel. But they didn't just leave them by themselves. They took the Assyrians and they took other foreigners and they said, now you guys go live there and dwell there. And what happened is that the Jews who were there eventually started intermarrying with these Assyrians, intermarrying with these other foreigners, and they had children. And so their children were half Jewish, half Gentile, and they became known as Samaritans. But something else happened as these Jews intermarried with these foreigners. The foreigners brought with them their false gods, their false religious beliefs. And so these wives or these husbands who married these people who had these false religious beliefs, they kind of adopted this new religion. It was part Judaism, part paganism. You know, they adopted some of what they already believed in Judaism and then, you know, brought in some new things that were completely pagan and against what God's word says. And to give you an example, you know, they've decided, you know what, we're going to only accept the first five books of the Old Testament. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's it. Those are the only ones that we feel are from God, and so we reject the rest of the Old Testament, and we're going to add to these first five books these different pagan practices and different mystical beliefs, and, and we're going to combine that all together, and that's going to be our new religious belief system. So these Samaritans were only half Jewish biologically, but they're also only half Jewish religiously. And when God delivered the Jews from the Assyrians, they, they come back to Israel. And as they come back to Israel, their dwelling in the land are these Samaritans, the, these half-Jews biologically, religiously, those who abandon most of what Judaism stands for. And because of that, the Jews despised the Samaritans. They treated them quite poorly. And in response to that, the Samaritans started to despise the Jews, and, and there was this hatred uh, that started to develop. But things continued to digress, because the Jews now got to a point where King Solomon's there, and they build the temple to God. But guess who didn't get to come and worship at that temple? The Samaritans. You're not worthy. You can't come. Your belief systems are wrong. And the Samaritans said, fine, we'll build our own temple to God. And so there in Samaria on Mount Gerizim, they build a temple for their own worship, and this infuriated the Jews. And so in 128 BC, the Jews came down and burned down the Samaritan temple. And as you can imagine, that just increased the hatred and hostility between these two groups. And from the burning down of their temple, about 150 years comes to when Jesus is now there, dwelling in Israel, and the hatred is so bad at this point in time between Jews and Samaritans that most religious Jews would not even step foot in Samaria. Now, as you can see from this map, the region of Samaria, which is red, is right in the middle of Israel. The northern region is Galilee. The southern region is Judea. And that made it very inconvenient for a Jew who wants to avoid Samaria to actually do that, but they would. Because the most direct route would just be go straight through Samaria if you want to get to the northern part. But most Jews, they would go around, across the Jordan River, back out, across the Jordan River again, add a huge amount of time. Why? I don't want to step foot in this place. I don't want to encounter any of these dirty, rotten Samaritans. That was the mindset of most of the religious Jews of that day. They hated them. They despised them. They completely avoided them and their country if they could. So Jews of Jesus' day, they would have seen all Samaritans as bad Samaritans. And they wanted nothing to do with them. Well, as we're going to see in our passage this morning, that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not the way in which he viewed this different group, this different you know, uh, religious belief system. He saw these people and loved them and wanted to reach them, and was willing to go out of His way for them. Jesus has, obviously, the heart of God because He is the heart of God, but these religious leaders of the day, they missed the heart of God. They thought, you know what, God just loves Jews, just loves us. We'll just reach out to our own, everyone else, you know, good luck for them. But Jesus says, no, I, I want to reach the whole world, not just one nationality. So now that we hopefully better understand a little of the history and the relationships between the Samaritans and the Jews, let's look at this encounter with that in mind of Jesus going to this woman, to this person who comes from this background that most Jews despised and wanted nothing to do with, 
and see what we can learn from Jesus as an example of how to treat and reach out to people who are sinful, who are bad, who are lost, who need the gospel. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Last week, if you remember, Jesus came down from the region of Galilee where he was doing ministry, and he comes to the southern region of Judea, and they start a new ministry of baptizing people, and that ministry just grows and grows, and there's more people coming to be baptized by Jesus' disciples than by John the Baptist himself. And John the Baptist's disciples weren't happy about that as we looked at last week. They got jealous. They come to John the Baptist and he shares with them some wonderful truths about how to overcome jealousy and pride. And that's a wonderful thing that we saw last week. But Jesus is now there. News is spreading about this you know, ministry of baptism that he and his disciples are doing that's growing. And the news is spread now to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. And Jesus is aware that the religious leaders now hear of this prominence here of the success of his popularity and he realizes you know what there's a confrontation that's going to come you know the religious leaders are now you know not going to be happy about what's going on and so Jesus decides you know what now is not the time for this confrontation as we go through the gospel of John Jesus is going to have many confrontations with the religious leaders but it was based on his timing of when things would take place and right now he realizes now is not the time and so he departs Judea and he goes back up to Galilee to avoid the confrontation with the religious leaders but the verse I really want you to take note of here which kind of starts what we're going to be looking at this morning is verse 4 where it tells us but he needed to go through Samaria now that's a very interesting statement because as we noted, the religious Jews would say you never need to go through Samaria. Avoid that place and those people at all costs. But that's not Jesus' heart. Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria. And understand that there wasn't some you know, travel arrangements or some pressing necessity of like, I got to get to Galilee in this amount of time. The fastest route is through Samaria, so I need to go through there. No. None of those reasons are why he needs to go through Samaria. The reason Jesus needs to go through Samaria is because there was a lost and bad Samaritan woman that needed to discover who Jesus is. Needed to discover what Jesus has to offer her and why she needs it. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria because there's a Samaritan woman that needed Jesus. Something important for us to understand is if you you got to go to Samaria... If you want to reach Samaritans, you can't expect the lost Samaritans to come to you. Jesus could have, you know, just sit back in, you know, Judea and say, you know what, if those Samaritans want to get saved, they can come on down to me. You know, I'm doing this ministry here. If they want to hear the gospel, let them come. If you want to reach Samaritans, guess what? You got to go to Samaria. The first important principle for evangelism that we see here from Jesus' encounter with this woman is that you have to go where lost people are if you want to reach them with the gospel. You notice that Jesus commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He doesn't say stay and wait for the world to come to you. You know, to sit back and, and hopefully they'll knock on your door one day and you'll get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. He says, no, you go to them. Go reach out and find them. 
And sometimes that means going to difficult places. Sometimes that means going to different cultures, going to people groups that maybe you struggle with, that maybe are hard for you. You say, you know, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go out of my area. I'm going to go to somewhere else so I can fulfill this commission of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, when a firefighter comes to save people in a burning building, he doesn't stand outside the building and say, hey, come on out so you guys can be saved from the flames. He goes into the building where they are, and he rescues them, and he pulls them out. And in the same way, we can't just be as a church and say, hey, hey, come on over here. We'll share the message with you. You know, we got to go to where they are. So many of them don't even have a clue that they're lost. So many don't have a clue of what they need. And so we need to go and share it with them. Jesus had to go to Samaria because he wants to reach a Samaritan. So let's see what happens when he gets there. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus and his disciples, they now arrive in Samaria and they come to this city named Sychar. And we're told that in this city was Jacob's well. So back long ago, Jacob, this is where he dwelt. He digs this, or servants dig this well. He gives this land to Joseph. And, you know, much time has passed between them and Jesus' time. But, you know, the well is there. And actually, if you go to Israel today, the well still exists. You can see it. But this journey from Judea to Sychar was about a day and a half walk. And we're told that Jesus is wearied. And this is another wonderful truth about Jesus, that he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. He got wearied. He got tired. He just walked for a day and a half. He comes to this well, and he says, you know what, disciples? Go into the town, get some food, bring it back. So now it's just Jesus by himself there at this well, and we're told the time, it was about the sixth hour. In the Jewish time, that's 12 noon, pretty much the hottest time in the day. And it's a very interesting time to note because women came out to the well in the morning when it was cool. And it was a time not only to gather water, but a time to just, you know, catch up on, you know, the different things going on in different people's lives. And so they would come and they would gather water while it's cool. They would have lots of time to talk. And then they'd go back to, you know, their daily chores and daily life. They'd come before it got so hot. Typically, no one came out to a well at noon. That's like, why go there when it's extremely hot? That That's the worst possible time to go and do this work. So here you have Jesus most likely by himself at this well, and you know typically no one comes at that time. But Jesus knew there's someone who is going to come. He knew that there was a Samaritan woman coming, and he's purposely there because he wants to meet her. He wants to share who he is with her. So Jesus is at this well, and we're told a woman from Samaria came in this really hot time of day to draw water. Now, the fact that this woman comes to the well by herself at a time when no other women are there reveals something that we need to note here. It's either that she didn't want to come when other women were there, or perhaps she wasn't allowed to come 
when other women were there. In verse 18, Jesus reveals something important about this woman. He tells us that something that would reveal why she might not want to come or why she might not be allowed to come at this well. He says, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. So Jesus reveals where this woman's at. She's been married and divorced five times, and now she's just living in sin with some guy and probably just given up on the whole marriage thing. It hasn't worked five times, so you know what? I'm just going to live with this guy. This is this woman's situation. She's been with many men. We don't know how many men between those men that she was with, how many kids she has with all these men. But here's a woman who's been living a sinful lifestyle. And in that culture as well as ours, I mean, even in our culture that pretty much accepts divorce, five remarriages is a lot. And that culture would have been even more. And so I'm sure that there were many people who looked at her as a very loose woman. (laughs) Five husbands now living with some other guy, you know, seeing her in that way. I'm sure that many of the women in that city didn't want her around their husband. They probably called her words like slut. And that's probably why she didn't want to come to the well. I'm sick of the judgmental looks. I'm sick of the gossip. I'm sick of what people say about me and my life. I'd rather just come in the heat of the day by myself instead of dealing with these ladies. Or maybe it was even worse. You know what? You can't come here when we're here. We don't want you here. We don't want you around us. We don't want you anywhere near us when we're here. You're going to have to come when we're not here. But either way, she's coming at a time when no one typically would. To be by herself. Probably not to have to deal with these people. But you know what? She comes thinking that she's going to be alone. And there she sees something that would be a huge surprise. A Jewish man in Samaria was a bit of a surprise. A Jewish man at this well when no one else was there would have been quite a surprise. But even a greater surprise than that is this Jewish man who's sitting at this well who he she sees speaks to her and asks of her to allow him to drink from her bucket. Now I want you to understand that Jesus going to Samaria is not the only thing that he does that is completely out of the norm for Jews of his day. He does several things that were completely out of the cultural norm. One of them is to meet with and talk to a woman. In that culture, Jewish rabbis, they did not talk with women in public. William Barclay wrote this, The strict rabbis forbade a rabbi to greet a woman in public. A rabbi might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in public. There were even Pharisees who were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they shut their eyes when they saw a woman on the street and so walked into walls and houses. So in the Jewish culture, someone in Jesus' role as a rabbi, that they wouldn't speak to women, not even their own daughter or wife in public. That was like, no, you don't do that. And this is so interesting. That, you know, we see that there's this bruised and bleeding group that, you know, oh, there's a woman closing my eyes, and they start tripping over things and running into things because we won't even look at them, much less speak to them. And we're going to see that when the disciples come back, they marvel that Jesus is speaking to this Samaritan woman. They're like, what? This is so abnormal. What's going on here? And so Jesus is breaking cultural norms, not only going through Samaria, but stopping and speaking to this woman 
But you know what? He does something else that's very abnormal. Maybe a woman who was well-respected in society. All right, well, we can understand you speaking to her, but notice the woman that he chooses to speak with. Here's a woman who's been married and divorced five times, living in sin with some guy, you know, a woman of ill repute in the community. That would be someone that, you know, even if she was Jewish, a rabbi wouldn't speak to. And so not only is Jesus speaking to this woman, he's speaking to this sinful woman, which was very much not something that would happen. And I want you to note this as well. He asked her to give him a drink from her bucket. And you might think, well, yeah, why not? He doesn't have one. Well, in that culture, Jews did not eat or drink with non-Jews. Oh, we're going to share, uh, you know, a cup or a plate or a bowl. No way. That's not happening. We're not swapping germs with you. They despise Samaritans. And so to drink out of a Samaritan's cup would have been seen like that's never going to happen. You know, it'd be like going to the South just years ago when there was, you know, the separate drinking fountains for, for whites and for blacks and, and having a, a white man in the South come up to a black woman and say, Hey, you know what? Can I have a drink from your canteen? It wouldn't happen back then because there was this view of like, you're dirty and I'm not going to touch that. That's the same thing in this culture. Jesus saying, hey, well, you know, woman, you know, Samaritan, give me a drink from your, your bucket. That would be unheard of at that time. David Grusig wrote this. For many reasons, this woman would have been despised by most of the religious leaders in the days of Jesus. She was a woman, a Samaritan, and a woman of questionable reputation. Yet, in the interview with Nicodemus, John showed us Jesus has something to say to the religious establishment. In the meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, John shows us Jesus has something to say to those despised by the religious establishment. And I love this about Jesus because he doesn't show favorites. Everybody needs him. He comes to Nicodemus. The one that people would say, well, he doesn't need God. He's a religious leader. He's got it all together. Jesus says, no, you need to be born again or you can't come into the kingdom. You got a problem, Nicodemus. But he also goes to this Samaritan woman who's also lost, sinful, and willing to share her need as well. Now, I want you to understand that these cultural barriers that the Jews had ultimately stemmed from two very bad things, racism and sexism. They didn't want to be around Samaritans because they were racist. They belittled and, uh, women to this place of, you know, we can't talk to them, we can't look at them, because they had a sexist view. But Jesus doesn't demonstrate either of those things. Notice he's not focused on her nationality, he's not focused on her gender, he's not even focused on her religion. What he is focused on is the fact that she is lost. The fact that she is someone who is sinful in need of a Savior, and he has come to introduce himself to her so that she can receive that salvation. Jesus doesn't allow the cultural barriers, a religious barrier, a racial barrier, a gender barrier to get in the way of reaching out to this woman in need. The second important principle for evangelism that we see here from Jesus is don't allow cultural, religious, racial, or gender barriers to get in the way of reaching people with the gospel. You know, we like comfort. We like areas where we feel comfortable. And there's certain groups that are like us, and we feel comfortable talking with them. And those are typically the groups that we are willing to share the gospel with, 
But what about the groups that are more difficult for us? What about the groups that are very different? There are different race, different background, different whatever, economic status. Are we willing to go to them? Are we willing to not allow maybe anything in our upbringing or anything in our culture or anything that might hinder some kind of barrier that says, oh yeah, they're not really worth it or they'll not listen or whatever that thought is to say, I'm not going to allow that to keep me from going and reaching out to this person who's in need. The only way that we can fulfill the great commission of going to all the world and preach the gospel is to get past these barriers that often keep us from doing that. So Jesus reaches out to a Samaritan woman who in a Jewish culture most people wouldn't have reached out to. Now this would have been shocking to Jews for sure, but you know what? This woman would have been shocked as well. When she shows up and sees this Jewish man speaking to her, she would have been very taken back by that because she knows that is out of the cultural norm. And so let's see her response to Jesus' request to give him A drink in verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This woman is shocked. Like, how is it that you, being a Jew, speak to me? Ask of a drink from my bucket? I mean, I know the culture. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why are you doing this? And I don't think this woman was like, how dare you speak to me? How dare you ask a drink of me? I think she was pleasantly shocked, pleasantly surprised that this Jewish man gave her the time of day. It could have been the first time that a Jewish man ever spoke to her. I mean, most Jewish men avoided Samaria. They definitely would have avoided a woman like her. You know, this might have been the first time that a Jewish man ever gave her the time of day, ever spoke to her, and especially would ask to have a drink from her bucket. So I think she's probably pleasantly surprised of Jesus' interaction with her, impressed by the friendliness of Jesus. Because here's a woman that most likely, for a lot of her life, had been rejected and despised and ignored by even her own people because of her sinful past and lifestyle. And so now you get this Jewish man who's sharing with you, speaking to you, asking of a drink from you. But notice that Jesus is the one who starts the conversation. He's the one who initiates this. She doesn't come and think, oh wow, I can tell by your, you know, your outfit there, what you're wearing. You're a Jewish man. Hey, I got a few questions about God. You know, could you tell me about your, you know, Judaism and, and, you know, I've heard different things and, you know, you look like a rabbi. Why don't you give me some insights into how I can get saved? She doesn't come talking like that to Jesus. She is just there to do her business of gathering some water and go back to her house. And Jesus is the one who's there who initiates the conversation with her. You see, Jesus was seeking a sinner who wasn't seeking him. And I think this is something that's so important that we see with Jesus. I came to save and seek and save that who is lost. So often he's seeking people who are not seeking Him. And He's the one who initiates this conversation. The third important principle that we see here for evangelism is reach out to those who are and are not seeking God by starting a conversation with them. 
You know, oftentimes we're just looking for people who are, are, are wanting to hear, who are asking, who are seeking, like, tell me about Jesus. Yeah, that's great when that happens. And you should answer that question and tell them about Jesus and share the gospel. But don't just look for people who are coming to you and saying, hey, you know what? I, I work with you. I heard that you were a Christian. Can you tell me about Jesus? That's great. But you know what? That doesn't happen very often. You typically have to be the one to engage others who are lost who probably don't recognize their loss because they think they're a good person, that they don't understand their status, they don't understand the judgment that's coming upon them, they don't recognize who God is and what He's done for them, and so you have to go and engage them and start the conversation. But it doesn't just end there. Jesus starts with a practical conversation. It makes sense. They're both at a well. Can you give me a drink? But quickly, He takes the conversation from the practical to the spiritual. And that's something that we need to do as well. Notice how he does that in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice the transition here. Give me a drink. Wow, I mean, you're a Jew. You're asking me for a drink. This is totally against our culture. Well, what's going on? And Jesus goes straight from that practical statement to helping reveal spiritual truths. And he brings out three very important spiritual things to this woman. First, you need to know who Jesus is. If you knew the gift of God and who it is right here in front of you who says to you, give me a drink. If you knew me, because you need to know me. And by the end of this conversation, Jesus is going to make very clear who he is and she is going to know him. But this is something that she needs to know. You need to know who Jesus is. Second, you need to know what Jesus offers. He would have given you living water. Not only do you need to know who Jesus is, but but, what does Jesus offer you? And third, you need to know how you receive it. you got to ask for it. You would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. So in order to receive this gift of living water, you got to know who Jesus is, what He offers, and ask Him for it. And the reality is these are three vital elements to communicating the gospel to others. you got to know who Jesus is, what He offers you, and how to receive it through asking Him for that. The fourth important principle for evangelism is we must communicate who Jesus is, what He offers, and that you must ask Jesus in order to receive His gift of salvation. This is so important. You gotta to communicate to that. Yeah, who is Jesus? Well, let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he's done and what he offers you. But most importantly, now that you have that, let me tell that there's a response. You gotta put your trust in him. You gotta ask him to forgive you. You gotta ask him to save you. There's a, a role that you play in, in putting your trust in the work that Jesus has done. So Jesus tells this woman, if you knew who I was, <laughs> you'd be asking me for living water and I'd give it to you. Let's see how she responds to that. The woman said to him, Sir, you you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here 
to draw. Jesus is trying to help this woman understand her spiritual need, her spiritual thirst that needs to be quenched. But you know what? She's missing it. She's missing the point. Just like when Nicodemus came and, and Jesus said, you got to be born again. He's like, what, i got to go back into my mother's womb? He, he missed the point. Jesus wasn't talking about a, a physical birth. He was talking about a spiritual birth. And Jesus isn't talking about physical water and thirst. He's talking about a spiritual water and spiritual thirst. But she doesn't get it. And that's why she says, sir, you got nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She's thinking, you're talking about the well and the water here. And it's like, you don't have a bucket. The well's deep. How are you going to get it? I mean, sure, give me some living water, but you got nothing to give it to me with. So she's thinking of the physical, but Jesus isn't speaking of that at all. He's wanting to help her see she has a spiritual need. And she goes on to say, hey, are you greater than Jacob? You know, who built this? Are you, are you greater than him? I mean, where is this coming from? How are you going to get this living water? Well, to order to, to help her understand Jesus goes on, he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is wanting her to see, you're missing the point. Whoever drinks of this water, maybe even pointing to the well, the water that you came to get, they're going to thirst again. I'm not talking about this water, but whoever drinks the water that I give They'll never thirst. The water that I give will spring up inside of them to everlasting life. Jesus is speaking about the deepest thirst that people have. A thirst for eternal life. A thirst for the things of God. You know, every person has a great thirst inside of them. But the reality is it can only be quenched and fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But many people don't know that. There's just thirst within them. They want to quench it. And so they try in all different ways to quench that thirst. Some do it like this woman through all sorts of different relationships. Doesn't work. Others, drugs, alcohol. Others, you know, accomplishments, power. Others, fame. But none of those things satisfy your thirst. At first, like, you know, when a hot day and you drink a, a cup of water, you're like, oh, that was great. And then all of a sudden you get thirsty again. Oh, that relationship was great, but, but now I'm thirsty for more. Oh, the, the, the drugs were great, but, but now I need a bigger high. You know, that accomplishment was great, but, but I need something more. The fame was nice, but now I need a bigger amount of people following me. And if you get those things, guess what? Still won't be enough. Oh, well, I need more, and I need more, and I need more. Why? Because it will not satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is a relationship with Jesus. Now, unfortunately, this woman still doesn't get it. Jesus is trying to make it real clear. I'm not talking about this well or this water. I'm speaking about something spiritual that I offer. Everlasting life comes through me. Living water comes through me. She says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. <laughs> hey, you want to make my life easier and more convenient so I don't have to come out here every day and draw from this well? Let's do it. Once again, she's focused on the physical. You're giving me the solution to not come to this well anymore. No, no, I'm not talking about the physical. You're missing it. Well, it's time for Jesus to shift gears here. He's shared this illustration. He's expounded upon it. She's missing her spiritual need, the spiritual 
thirst. And so he's going to go straight to the heart of the situation and he's going to speak of her sin so that she can recognize her need for Jesus. Verse 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So Jesus is now going to get to the heart of the problem. He's going to reveal this woman's sin. And he says something that would not have been out of the norm in this conversation of, of, of go call your husband. Because typically in that culture, if a woman and a man had an extended conversation, the, the woman would get her husband and they would be together and that would be more proper. And so Jesus is saying, you know, go, go get your husband. It would be normal. Like, hey, let, let's continue this conversation when your husband gets here. But he knows her situation. And so she says, oh, oh I don't have a husband. It's like, well... There's truth to that statement. Yeah, you, you don't have a husband right now in your life, but Jesus knows that there was much more to her marital history than what she wants to bring up. She doesn't want to deal with her past. She doesn't want to deal with her sin. She doesn't want to deal with what she has done. And so I just don't have a husband. Let's just leave it at that. No, let's not just leave it at that. You have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Little side notes. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that those living together are married. So I'm, oh, I'm married in the eyes of God. We're living together. No, you're either married or you're not married. Jesus does not look at living with someone as marriage. But notice he brings up the sin in this woman's life. And it was ultimately because he realizes until you are confronted with your sin, you will never recognize your spiritual thirst and look to me for salvation. And this is something that we need to understand as we communicate the gospel. The fifth important principle for evangelism is we must communicate the bad news that people are sinners in order to help them see their need for a savior. You see, the good news is only good to those who recognize the bad news that they're sinful. The good news that Jesus died for your sin is only good if I realize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need someone who died for me. If I'm a good person and my good works are going to get me into heaven, why do I need someone who died on the cross for me? Why do I need that message? It's irrelevant to me because I don't need that. I'm going to get myself in because I'm good and I do good things. So you got to start with, no, you're not. <laughs> you're sinful. And the punishment of sin is God's wrath and judgment for all eternity in hell. And there's only one way to escape it, and that's the good news. Jesus died for your sin. He paid the punishment on your behalf so that you don't have to. But if we don't deal with the bad news and share the bad news, then people can't really comprehend how good the good news is. And too often we shy away from that. People don't want to hear about sin. No, they don't, but they need to hear about it. This woman didn't want to hear about it. She didn't want to talk about her past. Jesus brings it to the forefront so that she will recognize her need for salvation. Well, now that Jesus has taken this conversation to the heart of this woman's issue, notice how she responds in verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you one ought to worship. Notice that the woman's first response is an obvious one. I perceive you're a prophet because I don't know how in the world you know how many times I've been married and the fact that I'm living with a guy that I'm not married with. I perceive that you have some kind of supernatural understanding of people's lives. Yes, he does. 
It would have been better that she understood that she was a sinner than that he was a prophet. But she does recognize, wow, that's pretty impressive, Jesus, that you can tell me this. But notice that she doesn't stay with her sin. She doesn't stay with trying to deal with it. She doesn't ask questions about, well, what do I do now, Jesus? How do I deal with my past? Notice that instead, she wants to quickly change the topic. Oh, we're now at the topic of my sin. Let's move that to the topic of something else. Notice what she does. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Hey, the, the conversation's too personal. Let's get to some spiritual debate that Jews and Samaritans have been having for a while. Where should we worship God? You guys say at the temple in Jerusalem. We say at the temple that you burned down years ago here in Mount Gerizim. Where should we worship? Let me sidetrack the issue. Let's not deal with my sin anymore. Let's not talk about this. Let's talk about this other issue that I really probably don't even really care to have an answer for. But you know what? This is something that is so common. I'm sure if you have shared the gospel enough times, you've experienced this. When you get to the issue of the person's sin, that is so often when they want to change the topic. Well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel? Or what about the contradictions in the Bible? Or what about creation versus evolution? Or what? They'll just throw out whatever they can to say, well, let's talk about that. Let's get our focus on that. When really for most of them, they're not even wanting an answer to that. They're just wanting to avoid dealing with the reality of their sin. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this. This is too personal. Let's get to something that's just kind of a, a spiritual debate that we can go to instead of dealing with the reality of my own personal life. But Jesus, he doesn't want to let this woman sidetrack, doesn't want to let her get by with kind of, well, let's just talk about something else. But he is going to answer the question. He's going to do it quickly, and he's going to move it right back to her need. And I think that's just such an important thing for us to do as well. Let's not get overly sidetracked. Be discerning. Pray and seek if this is something that someone's really needing an answer to. And if not, then I wouldn't spend much time on it at all. But if they need an answer quickly, give it to them and get back to the heart of the issue, which is their sin and their need for a Savior. But notice what Jesus does, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So notice that the question is, where should we worship? Here's the debate. Did you say Jerusalem? We say on this mountain. All right, Jesus, give me the answer. Where should it be? And Jesus, just quickly, you know what? Here's the answer. Really, neither. It's not about location. The time is now because I am here where, you know what, it's not about the location, it's about the object of worship. It's not about where you do it or what day you do it. It's about who you're worshiping, and it's also about how you're worshiping. You need to worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit and is seeking such to worship Him in spirit and truth. And you know what? You can do that anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or you're in Samaria. It matters who you worship and how you worship. And ultimately, Jesus is trying to bring her back to the reality of the who is me and your need for spiritual, to fill your spiritual thirst. You know what? You need to worship God in spirit and truth, but before you can do that, you're going to have to deal with your spiritual need. Let's get back to you. 
Let's get back to your need. Let's get back to, to what we were dealing with before you try to sidetrack this. Let's see how she responds. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So Jesus gives the answer to this woman's question of, well, where should we worship? You know, everyone's been debating this for a long time. And Jesus says, you know what? It's really not about Jerusalem or Samaria. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And her response is, well, you know what? The Messiah is going to be coming. And when he gets here, he'll tell us all things, including the answer to this question that I gave you. And that's a nice answer, Jesus. But when the Messiah comes in, we'll really find out what the real answer is. And notice how Jesus then responds to her. One of the most important, significant statements that he makes, I who speak to you am he. When the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. Guess what, woman? I am the Messiah. I am telling you all things. But you know what? This is very profound because it's the first time in Jesus' ministry that he so clearly reveals who he is. When demons speak of him, he tells them to be quiet. So often he avoided coming out so clearly about who he is. But to this sinful Samaritan woman, Jesus clearly reveals, I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come to save you. I think this is very fascinating. The Jews would have definitely thought, well, if the Messiah is going to come and reveal himself to anyone, it's surely not going to be to some sinful Samaritan woman. He'll do it to the religious leaders. Actually, he didn't do it to the religious leaders until the end of his ministry. He comes to this woman. He clearly says who he is. He wants her to know that. I'm the Messiah. I am God. And you know what? What I offered you comes from God. You can have living water. You can have everlasting life. You can have salvation from your sin. I can offer that to you because I am God. And all you need to do is ask me for it and I will save you. So now it's kind of this wow moment. And look who shows up. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So here is this moment. This woman finally recognizes who she is speaking with. The Messiah is there in front of her, the one that can give her True, lasting fulfillment. The one who can give her eternal life. And, and they're having this conversation. And then the disciples show up, and I'm sure there was this awkward silence. They don't say anything, but they're marveling. Why is Jesus speaking to this woman? And they just don't understand what's going on here. And then she chooses to depart, and maybe because it was a little bit awkward. But notice she leaves her water pot. She came to get water. She doesn't get it, but she leaves it there. Why? Because she's coming back. She knows that she's coming back because she wants to see Jesus again. But notice where she goes and what she does. She goes into the city and she says to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came to Jesus. So here's a woman. She encounters Jesus. She's not seeking him. He's seeking her. 
He reveals to her who he is. He reveals to her what he can do for her. He reveals to her that all she needs to do is ask of him and he will give it to her. And her response now is to go into the city and tell people, you know what? I think I found the Messiah. Come and see. Come with me and let's meet this man. And they do. They come to Jesus. The sixth important principle for evangelism is you don't have to have all of the answers to share the gospel. You just need your testimony. You know, I see so many people, they have these things, well, I can't do it because I I haven't gone to Bible college or, or I haven't read all the way through the Bible or I don't have all the answers to the skeptics or, you know, they have all these different reasons for why they can't communicate the gospel. But the bottom line is, hey, all you need is to know the gospel message and to have your testimony. It's great to be able to answer the skeptics, and over time, hopefully you'll learn those. It's great to read through the Bible, and over time, you'll do that. It's great to go to Bible college if you ever have that opportunity. But you know what? None of those things are necessary or required for you to communicate the gospel to someone. Here's a woman that just goes into town and says, Hey, let me share my experience. I just had an encounter with someone that I believe is the Messiah. Come on, let's meet him. Hey, you know what? Jesus just totally changed my life. I heard this message and I've accepted it and and I believe that I am saved from my sins and He died for me and I just want to share with you what God has done. And it could be the same night that you got saved. It could be the next day. It's not like, well, now i got to go through all these classes and do all these things before I could tell anybody about this. We could just be like this woman. Go out, communicate the gospel, share what Jesus has done in your own life and invite people to meet Jesus. Jesus wanted this woman to understand that she had this spiritual thirst that only He could fulfill. And you know what? Each one of us who have accepted Christ, we were in that place where we finally came to recognize only Jesus can fulfill the spiritual thirst that we have and we've been trying to fulfill it in all sorts of other things and now we found the source. Now we found the one that truly fulfills and and quenches our thirst. But you know what? I know I have been guilty of this, and perhaps you have as well. After some time of being saved, we start falling for the lie of the enemy, who tries to convince us, hey, you want to fulfill your thirst? That's not in Jesus. Remember how great the party scene was? Remember how great those relationships were? Remember how great this was or that was? And he tries to draw us back to trying to fulfill what only can be fulfilled in Jesus and something else. And so even believers can be guilty of finding the source of true eternal life, living water, and going to some other well, some other place to try to find fulfillment. And if that's you, you've been trying to do that, You've been going back to something that you know is wrong, thinking, oh, that's going to fulfill. That's going to give me what I'm looking for. Get back to Jesus. Time with Him. He's the only one who truly fulfills our need. Let's pray.